Hello everybody and welcome to the Kano Rinse Podcast, Volume 6, Issue 252, and it's the Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks. Yes, uh, we came back last issue with Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. That was the first one of 2017. We have 50 new shows lined up. You can find the full list over at canarince.com and if you want to play along with us as many of you do now we know uh, a few more have pledged to try to keep up with us this year uh, obviously it can be dependent on format and what genres you like to play and stuff but the next five podcasts we have planned are contra and super contra uh, sometimes those games are also known or well, the first one is grizor or probotector uh, you can find that on various formats after that it's the street fighter 3 series uh, of course, there was a Third Strike uh, ver- uh, version released on PSN and 360 that you can still get. Uh, after that is the Order 1886. Then it's the much-requested Undertale. And after that, it's our penultimate show in this long run of Zelda podcast that we've been doing. And it's Skyward Sword. So, as I say, head to canarince.com for uh, that full list, as well as articles, features, reviews... And links to all the other things that we do, including the Facebook page and the YouTube channel and our friendly and intelligent and busy forum. And if you enjoy what we do, you can support us in a number of ways. We have a Patreon. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever you wish. All our content remains free to everybody. Uh, but if you do feel that the hours of podcasting that we put your way is worth something, then donations are gratefully received. You could also uh, buy a T-shirt or a bag from shop.spreadshirt.co.uk slash cane and rinse. And a little bit of the money from the merchandise goes into our coffers and it's all ploughed back into the show in various ways. And we also have another podcast as well, uh, all about our love of video games music. But we also chat games and uh, we chat a bit about the games that the music comes from as well, of course, as well as the actual music. Uh, And more and more people are picking up that that's a, a fun time as well. So do subscribe to that one. Sound of play and review and rate and subscribe to both of our podcasts, that one and this one on all the usual podcasting platforms, iTunes and Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn and others that you may know. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 252, ah, uh, Darren Gargett. Hey, I'm back. You're back. Hmm. Is this really your first one since becoming a Father Gargett? Yeah, yeah, I don't know where the time's gone, but yes, it is wow. absolutely that. Pa- apart from you you joined us for a little end-of-year roundup, and yeah. uh, you've been on Sound of Play, I think, but, um, hmm. but yeah, wow, welcome back. Interesting times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All I can all I can see are images of chaos. <laughs> Less chaos in the world of Joshua Garrity. Yep, I'm childless here, so I'm enjoying all this free time and uh, <laughs> uh, money that I could spend on myself, which is great. Good. He has a job, but no children. Yes. Uh, and even though we've been going five years, he's still the baby of the team. That's Joshua Garrity. And uh, I think our newest member as well, uh, returning Zelda expert Triforce tattooed Leah Haydu. Also uh, childless and having just spent a, a fair amount of money on his Zelda box. So, um, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are other games, but we're not here to talk about the Nintendo Switch. Uh, and uh, you may notice, listeners, that Leah's a little croaky today. So... Uh, the show must go on. She's joined us uh, fighting through the germs. I'm Thank drinking you for tea. that. And drinking tea. <laughs> uh, with lemon? Uh, no, it's actually got cinnamon in it. Ooh, fancy. Tasty. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so this is、uh, the Zelda show. Zelda no Densetsu Daichi no Kiteki, I believe, is、uh, some kind of approximation of the Japanese name,、uh, which translates. I've seen this as、uh, more than one translation because、uh, that's the way. These things work.、Uh, the Legend of Zelda Train Whistle of the Wide World, which I think is rather lovely,、uh, but I also like Steam Whistle of the Earth.、Um, but it was given the official moniker in the West of The Legend of Zelda Spirit Tracks, coded by、uh, Nintendo EAD Group number three, with、uh, Daiki Iwamoto directing. And we've,、uh, we've discussed him before because he was also the director of、uh, the previous game. Uh, Phantom Hourglass on the DS, having worked on some earlier games in different、uh, capacities. So, yeah, I, this is an unusual situation, I suppose, in that、um, normally when we've gone from one Zelda to another, we've tended to jump across formats and styles. It's been 2D to 3D, 3D to 2D, generation to generation. This was the next game after the Phantom Hourglass. It came out on the same system, the DS. And uses much the same engine. There are a few、uh, tweaks and alterations that we'll discuss, but there was no big Zelda in between. That,、uh, we had to wait for that until,、uh, for another couple of years, until 2011, I believe.、Um, so this came out in 2009,、uh, December, all around the world.、Uh, there was a Wii U virtual console release. Uh, that was November 2015 in EU and America, and a whole year later. In Japan, December 2016. Now, I started playing the Wii U version on Virtual Console. I bought, they, were, they were doing a deal where if you bought Phantom Hourglass,、uh, you got、uh, Spirit Tracks half price or vice versa. <laughs> so it made sense to get those. I played Phantom Hourglass on Wii U Virtual Console and it was pretty fine. You know, there, there were a few issues that we talked about in that podcast. But、uh, I was planning on playing through this one、um, because I did. Originally, have the DS cart, but I sold it some time ago. Thought I'd play it through on Wii U. And then,、uh, Darren, you were the first person to start、uh, chugging through this one, and you came across some issues. Would you care to explain what the issues with playing this game on the Wii U are? The two major issues I had with Spirit Tracks on the Wii U、um, was、uh, the first one which surprised me was the hard locks that I had during. A bit in the volcano area, I, f- I forget the、mm-hmm. name, excuse me.、Um, but you, you, Fireland. Fireland, yeah, warm place. Yeah. You, you meet a guy, you meet a thing, maybe a Goron, and、um, in the cutscene it crashed and it hard locked. And at this point, you know, I was doing the dad thing, so I was, you know, part time Zelda in, part time parenting, and, you know, doing the thing. So the sound wasn't on. So I put the sound on for a second, and I could hear this weird kind of. Uh, re- repetitive noise that I couldn't really, it wasn't very Zelda like. It was kind of like someone was <laughs> rubbing up against the microphone, like vigorously.、Mm. I was like, what's going on here? And it turns out there's a creature in the game that looks kind of like a fish man. Like a, okay, I'm really, I, I apologize for my lack of、um, names. In, in this game. Yeah, we said we'd, we'd try to get through the entire series without referring to any of the enemies by their official names. I think we're, <laughs> we're doing all right so far. So, yeah, F- Fish Boy made a weird noise. Fish Boy. And,、um, <laughs> That noise was, it kept repeating throughout my playthrough, and I thought nothing of it.、Um, yeah. But the more I walked past a certain point in Volcano Land, and it, it triggered once, twice, three times, and before it was just an overwhelming, horrible noise that just, you know, it was obviously an audio glitch. And then when I bumped into this, this、uh, character for a cutscene, it hard locked my game, and I was like, oh, I've put like 10 hours in, this can't be the end. And I ended up doing, you know, putting my QA hat back on and kind of. 
walking around this area that triggered the noise to then have the cutscene proceed. And it's very un-Nintendo-like in its polish. It's like, mm. you know, um, Nintendo games, are, you know, whether you like them or not, they always have a charm and polish to them. And this one just felt like it was the amiibo that you didn't polish, you know? It was kind of just like, it felt a bit rough around the edges. Um, and that happened a few times, um, the, the crashes, which which bugged me no end. Pun intended. Um, but the, the other one was the playing of the, the spirit flute. The, the microphone mm. on the Wii U does not emulate what the DS version offers at all. It is an absolute nightmare of a... Um, it, it is literally stress-inducing. Like, yeah. So at some points, you know... Traditional Zelda style, you're asked to play um, an instrument to learn songs to make things happen in the world, and you know a, a person, a character is there to help you along the way. Oh, I'll play a section, and you play a section, and you know you learn the music notes, and you go on. But I don't know how I ended up doing it. It was pure brute force, but I was I was so angry at points with this game that I rage quit many times when playing these songs. The, the mm. little the little pinhole microphone on the Wii U just doesn't. Either it's not enough or it's too much, and I couldn't find a healthy balance. And I, I couldn't tell you how to play the Spirit Flute in the Wii version of Spirit Tracks at all. It was just pure luck. If I got through, <laughs> I, I save stated, and um, you know, just just yeah. turned turned it off and left it for a day or two because it just it it made me angry. It's it's terrible, and I can't believe again, I can't believe that kind of got through Nintendo's system. I don't mm. know how how that polish was. You know, not. They are normally incredibly hot on making sure that when they do re-release stuff on the virtual console, I know there's been a certain amount written about the slightly substandard emulation on the Wii U compared to the Wii, and the fact that like the the NES Mini has uh, has stronger emulation of the NES than the Wii U does. But generally, one of the things that they're always absolutely um, yeah like really specific about is that everything functions beautifully on virtual mm. console it's one of the reasons that they wouldn't release super nintendo games on the standard 3ds mm-hmm. because they weren't happy with the clock speed because it, it led to slowdown and and things like that so um yeah it's 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 really odd and i mean i'm really glad you warned me because it, it sounds awful we have an account from uh, from regular correspondent andrew later who had a who had similar issues so i was a couple of hours into the wii u vc version when i was hearing this and you said you i think you said you did a bit of research and it was kind of a known issue mm, yeah so like there has there, there have been you know people out there kind of lobbying nintendo to patch it or some you know somehow make it work better with the, whatever the difference of the wii u's internal mic is mm. Uh, now I don't want to spend too long on this because I realise the actual number of people who, you know, will download, who will consider downloading Spirit Tracks on the Wii U Virtual Console is probably minimal. People who haven't got it already, mm-hmm. but uh, if people are inspired to, you know, uh, pick it up in the wake of listening to the show, uh, probably do what I did, and I think at least one of the, re- I think Josh and Leah, did you, you both end up buying this again or, or? I actually borrowed, I ended up borrowing a, co- a borrowing copy it. because yep. yeah, I had actually uh, purchased the the same as you. Uh, I had purchased yeah. um, Spirit Tracks on the virtual console because I no longer owned a copy of my own. And at the same time as I bought um, Phantom Hourglass for the show, I bought that as well. And um, then I started hearing uh, the the horror stories of of not being able to progress due to uh, some of the microphone mm. issues, um, which actually is kind of fun. I mean, 
Spear, or, uh, Phantom Hourglass did use the microphone a bit, certainly not as heavily as, as Spirit Tracks does, mm. but it, everything seemed to work pretty much as intended there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I basically I had decided that I would see if I could borrow a copy because most of the copies that I was looking at to purchase were, were a little expensive, not terribly, but um, more so than I wanted to, to pay for it, yeah. considering that I already owned that, that Wii U copy. And I was thinking yeah. that, oh, well, if I can't find it, I'll go ahead and just force my way through the Wii U version. And I'm kind of glad I didn't have to do that. So mm-hmm. If you could yeah. see my face when the very last time you learn a song... I wasn't oh, expecting right. that at all. You should yeah. have seen yeah. my face. Like, I, I yeah. wish I could see my own face at that point. I, I thought I'd learn all the songs. And then another one, I was like, you are... In the final boss fight. You are absolutely yeah. kidding me. And, yeah. oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I know Josh has some things to say about the, the playing of the pipes uh, in this game. We'll talk about that separately. I just wanted to highlight this specific technical issue. Um, and, in fact, Ryan Ryan Heyman, uh, still of Kana Rince, um, but as it stands, temporarily not of this podcast because he works for Nintendo currently, uh, has actually done what he can from his internal position at Nintendo to uh, to highlight this issue among the, you know, the people who care i mean whether it just is an email that gets you know lost in 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 the in the well the uh, vast F- corporation i don't know but. f0x on the virtual console got patched because yes. of control issues with the frame rate so absolutely it can happen yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they they because the, there's a different dead zone on the analog stick on the on the Wii U and stuff like that. So yes, they they have done patches before, and famously they patched some of the um, the early VC Wii U releases from the PAL versions to the NTSC versions and stuff like that. So yeah, it's not impossible that they will sort it out. But I think their attention is probably elsewhere mm-hmm. rather than fixing a DS Wii U <laughs> VC game, which probably sold about eighteen copies mm. on a machine that didn't sell many more than that and they are now currently busy with other things so uh but there it is the game originally when it came out uh scored an average review score of 87.05 percent from 55 reviews and uh now i know i realize uh sort of actually talking about average review scores kind of goes against the canarin's ethos but i think it, i still think it's sort of an interesting reference to sort of get a sense of the critical consensus um and as an extension to that that uh, we also now look at user ratings. So on Nintendo Life, which is a obviously a very pro uh, Nintendo fan kind of site, um, it has an average user score of eight point one. And on Metacritic, where you know people the 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 uh, the audience can be um, hostile, and it tends to be scores that are done in either tens or ones because everyone wants to make their point. Um, but this average is out at seven point eight, so uh, similar scores from users all around. Um, the game did uh, all right in in terms of uh, awards nominations. It was nominated for best handheld game at the Game Developers Choice Awards that year. Uh, Game Award 2009 in uh, in BAFTAs, uh, that was a Reader's Choice nomination, and it was uh, runner-up in Nintendo Life's uh, Best DS Game of 2009. Um, readers also voted it uh, runner-up as Best Game of the Year on the DS that year. Uh, it sold 3.31 million cartridges worldwide. Uh, but if you remember how many DSs that were, I, uh, there were in circulation, I guess it's probably not a massive percentage uh anyway so we've heard a little bit about your uh history darren you've played it through uh on wii u to mm. much uh, through much pain did you play it through before on ds yeah so when when it first came out i i wasn't a fan of phantom hourglass um for the obvious reasons um you know the the returning of the 
temple and uh, the controls. So I was very hesitant about this, but I picked it up anyway because mm-hmm. it's Zelda, and you know what am I to do other than spend a, you know money on a game that's called Zelda? You know I have to do it. So I picked it up yeah. and I bounced off it quite hard. I was like, oh, it's it's on rails. No, no thanks. And I shelved it for ages. And then the Wii U version came out. And it was, you know, buy one, get one half price. So I sold my physical copies of Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks. And um, I kind of regret that in a way. Um, But yeah, my first playthrough was, you know, uh, over Christmas. Okay. Uh, Leah, I think you played it. You played this at the time as well, 2009 or soon after. Yeah, I did. I was uh, I was still working at GameStop at that point. So um, I, I was playing a lot of things as soon as they came out but yes i having been uh, a zelda fan for some point for some time at that point i i did uh go ahead and pick this up i i had kind of mixed feelings about uh phantom hourglass at the time uh and i still think that i kind of do and uh, at the time i i enjoyed this more so i believe than uh, than phantom hourglass all right. And uh, Josh, you just completed this today. Was that yeah. for the first time? Yeah, yeah. I, I had no um, exposure to this game before uh, playing it for the podcast. Um, all I knew was that um, generally Spirit Tracks was uh, better regarded than um, uh, Phantom Hourglass. So um, going into this, I, I was eager to see what it did differently. Hmm. Uh, and you played a DS cartridge? Yes, the DS cartridge. The The intention uh, with that decision was to play it um, as part of my commute, but I'll get into why that <laughs> wasn't really possible <laughs> later on. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so as I say, I, I did buy this when it was new, um, but only had a quick look at it um, and uh, didn't get around to playing it. At some point, sold it and got that VC version, decided not to play that, and so I re-bought it, a second-hand copy, for about £15 to play it through for this podcast and I finished it a couple of days ago uh, no yesterday actually I finished it um, certainly didn't 100% it we will talk a little about the side quests and, and so on that hmm. are available uh, I think it took me around about 28 hours maybe to play the main story and, and a little bit of other stuff anyone else got any idea how many hours they put in that's that sounds about right I did I did a lot of side stuff so it may have been slightly higher okay. for me um, mm. but that that's about that sounds about right <laughs> Yeah, it's not a short game, certainly. Um, no. And the uh, if my sources are correct, the current world record for a speed run on any percent finish is four hours and 42 minutes uh, and 24 seconds by somebody called Pokemon Rocks. <laughs> uh, we should offer our usual spoiler warning. Um, there are, you know, there is a specific plot, as there always is. Um, so uh, one of the questions that came up on our forum is uh, why trains? Now, my first thoughts on this were because they hadn't done trains before, um, and it was this was a you know a, di- a direct uh, sequel to the, to the DS predecessor. Uh, they were looking to do something other than boats, which obviously um, Phantom Hourglass had sort of carried over from Wind Waker. Um, I also think that uh, something relevant is the fact that uh, Japanese um, train sims uh, still uh, have quite a following. Um, the Denture to Go series lasted for, I don't know if it's still going, but it certainly lasted for decades. Um, there's a real sort of uh, culture around uh, simulation of, of trains and that sort of thing. So I think it was maybe trying to capture some of that feeling. Um, but I also read that uh, director Uomoto felt that Spirit Tracks should not be too The Legend of Zelda-like. Uh, 
and apparently there was an argument um, among the development team that the train was not a good fit for the series uh, and that maybe the train should be thrown out in favour of something else. But uh, Iwamoto and uh, the people on his side convinced um, the staff to stick with the idea. So there we have it. Uh, as Darren says, movement is in the overworld um, on rails, if you will, uh, which which does give quite a different feel to things. Um and I also think uh, that although like the art style ostensibly continues on from Phantom Hourglass and therefore Wind Waker, and we talked a little about the, the fact that obviously on the DS things look a little rougher than they did um, on uh, in with, with Toon Link's Land on the GameCube, um, this sort of continues but it also it is another it is another version of the land and and as as alluded to earlier the fact that the you know the the rocky area is called fireland and the snowy <laughs> area is called snowland it was <laughs> like they'd really run out of like things to things to call things um, it was the snow one that got me like when you move into the snow area and it's literally called snowland i it, yeah. it made me laugh because it just felt like there was no imagination there at all yeah. Uh, so, yeah. How do you all feel about uh, this particular version of uh, Lincoln Zelda's land, Josh? Um, from an aesthetic point of view, I, I I do think this game is more appealing to me than uh, Phantom Hourglass. Um, it's just uh, in terms of like the character models' fidelity, it's not that much different. Um, there's just an injection of colour in the world mm-hmm. and, and in the environments that just give it a bit more personality. Um, and I believe it was you, Leon, who commented on the fact that like the hearts, for example, are a bit bigger and redder they are. and, and yeah. stuff like that. And I just found like the UI for the overworld um, much more appealing. Um, you get like the, the grid of four different lands with the spirit temple in the middle. And I just love the design of that. And and yeah, I, I I do find the world really appealing from a visual point of view. But as you've already pointed out, from like a theming, um, you know, any kind of world building point of view, this is the most generic kind of Zelda world that has been created. That <laughs> it's Snowland, it's Fireland, it's Sand Area. Like it, it's there's no <laughs> yeah. there's no sense that they're trying to build a culture and any culture that they do build is borrowed from other games like the Gorons are from you know they were established in Ocarina of Time like they're not a creation of this game um so from that point of view it feels a bit um a bit half-hearted but then again I I do appreciate how much effort they put into the art direction this time out Mm. So I think the the Anuki maker returned from Phantom Hourglass, but there's nothing. There's no new. Uh, I mean, there's some new characters, but there's no new sort of um, races or anything like that in this one, are there? That I can think of. Uh, we've had probably more correspondence about the the train travel than any other aspects. So let's hear some of that and see if we've got any anything we want to say uh, on on that which our listeners bring up. So uh, first up, we have Alex Maskill, uh, contributor to the blog as well from the forum, said, first off, let's get this out of the way. Trains suck. Boats are way better. Everyone who likes trains is a dork, and I will personally wedgie them. Uh, actually. Uh, he says, I'm not bitter because a train dumped me in in the middle of nowhere yesterday in the snow and the cold while I was playing this game. OK, I might be. 
Uh, but he says going places on tracks is less fun than sailing there, and creating a train-centric world for this game is very slightly less lame than the water world thing. But trains themselves are much worse. Everything not related to trains is pretty great, though. The dungeons feel cohesive and imaginative, with a sense of place and narrative that covers the joins between the different puzzles. The touch controls were fine, I guess, and the narrative approach had a very JRPG feel to it, which I actually liked. The characters are fun. The dialogue is breezy and entertaining to read, and I particularly enjoyed that Zelda is a companion and collaborator. Here we're coming onto this rather than just a MacGuffin. The Toon Zelda games are, if nothing else, incredibly charming, which certainly made it a more fun experience than it necessarily earns mechanically. I really like most of this game. Uh, so uh, A.G. Arnima uh, apparently suggested that they m- not use a boat, um, but uh, he want- wanted to retain the sense of seeing land and becoming clearer as Link approaches it. And again, something I think we're definitely seeing in uh, the at the time of recording, forthcoming, but not that long away, Breath of the Wild. Um, so uh, Ionima wanted to find an appropriate replacement uh, for the boat. Uh, Apparently he cites a book called The Tracks Go On, a book loved by his son for inspiring the inclusion of a train. Uh, Discusses how in the book children construct railroad tracks, uh, doing things such as creating tunnels or bridges when they find mountains or rivers. Ionima felt this book... Uh, felt like it would fit with the series although he did not tell the other developers in the team about it he later suggested that they use a train and allow players to lay the tracks themselves uh, however that idea was later described as a nightmare by by uh, Ionimo <laughs> due to how players would not know where to lay tracks and how the story had to restrict players from going to certain places uh, so uh, developing the train travel system as it is in the game took a year around about a year to finish um, and that nightmare mechanic was addressed by um, by having it so that the train tracks were always there but had to be um, recovered. Basically, they disappeared and you have to repair them by, you know, completing quests to, to get them to reappear on the map. Uh, the development team's reaction was mixed, as I think we're hearing uh, is was the players. Uh, some found it fun to expand um, and others thought that... Uh, it may result in a lack of freedom in the world exploration in a Zelda game. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so uh, it was, yeah, as I mentioned, it was in order to avoid obstacles and enemies on the tracks. Um, this is where the reverse feature came in and the switch tracks came in. And certainly I think some of my least favourite parts of the, the train travel were when the, the aggressive train engines uh, were coming at me down a track the other way. Um, and they're not exactly random they you know it does give you quite generous clues with arrows as to where they're about to go but some it's entirely possible to end up on a collision course without really it being your own fault and it's a one hit death thing i mean you know it's you just continue from the start of the last station but uh you know one hit deaths when you're just trying to explore a zelda world um not personally my idea of fun at all i think um I enjoyed those enemy trains when they were first introduced and they were kind of just the dumb blue ones that are kind of going wherever they go. And I liked kind of, uh, you know, I like that it encouraged you to go off the the path that you drew for yourself and encourage Mm. you to kind of like avoid these uh, enemies. And I I really like the music as they approach as well. Um, There's, you know, a good sense of threat created by that. But when they introduce the metal ones um, that can yeah. turn around and chase you, that's when it turned from being kind of like a fun, um, if, you know, incredibly deadly threat 
to something that was actively frustrating. Um, yeah, um, that's one particular section in in the end game uh, that's kind of like a it's basically a train Pac Man puzzle, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That you have to you have to solve to get through to the next stage of the end boss. So it's not something that haunts you throughout, but it's part of a very long sequence of kind of mini games that you have to beat to get to the end boss. <laughs> I like the, the um I like the enemy trains design. They look kind of like comically menacing. They've got like a little cheeky grin on their face, like they know they're going to come and you know destroy you. Um, but th- linking back to the gameplay of the train, I found because I didn't find it particularly engaging, I'd find myself switching off from the actual you know going from place to place because it's doing it for me, and then I'd be caught off guard, and then I'd, I'd bump into it by accident, and it's kind of like oh, if I was paying more attention because. I find the game more entertaining than I wouldn't have, yeah. You know, crashed into one of them on by accident. Um, but having said that, I, I like the the gear switching mechanic of you know you hear the bell and you're like, oh, it's time to switch gear, uh, time to switch lanes. Sorry, and there is a frantic panic of slamming your train into reverse and backing up as hard as you can when this blue enemy train's coming towards you and you're just peppering it with bombs. I just kind of wish that even though I'm going in reverse, I kind of wish I had. <laughs> Uh, they're a little bit faster than you and that's fine but I felt like maybe their speed was a little bit too unforgiving Mm. Blue Weasel Breath also from the forum says a memory I have is what in retrospect seems like a ridiculously long and tedious time spent riding the rails the fact that it takes up such a large proportion of what I remember about the game makes me wonder if the game relied too heavily upon these sections but at the time I enjoyed it very much I think it's only in hindsight that the train bits make me weary when I actually think back on it, I had a good time with the train driving mechanic and obsessively acquiring train parts and also tooting the horn. <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you, uh, as with the, the Phantom Hourglass game, uh, whereas that with, with the boat parts, you can customise your train to an extent. Um, there's some weird and wacky carriages and engines. Uh, I end up with a cake train, uh, a cake engine that plays a kind of tinkly party tune when you toot the horn. But I, I ended up missing the sound of the classic train horn. So, you know, yeah, I, I wasn't really particularly excited up. by customising my train because I couldn't see any benefits other than visuals or, you know, aesthetic to, you know, to, to make you me can- bothered. You can make it. You can so make it so that you have more health hearts for the final battle. Basically, that's yeah. what that that's for. I ended up with one more by buying a cake <laughs> train. Oh, don't get me wrong, but having a cake train sounds absolutely perfect, you know. But the the notion of going through, yeah, the, the, it requires quite a lot of stuff from you uh, as a player to get the upgrades and. I think it's yep. Lion Beck the third that ends up selling you these bits and bobs, but that's right. One I couldn't remember where he was on the map, and and, and when I, yep. when I remembered, I was like, well, I can't be bothered because I can't make my own way there. Like again, it all kind of it, it restrains me, and it kind of put me off. Um, you know, exploring yeah. cake I, trains. I, I know what you mean. I did. Yeah, I did. I did a bit towards the end, but what if I tell you that the instead of the uh, the funnel, it's got a little cake candle with with the smoke, the steam coming out. It looks like the smoke from the candle. I've just turned my Wii U back on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Craig from the forum says, by far the biggest problem of Spirit Tracks is the train. At best, it's boring. At worst, you have to literally sit still, doing nothing to prevent a one-hit kill sending you back to the start of the map. There is no exploration to be found here. There's no, oh, I'll just go this way. Maybe there's something interesting. If there's somewhere you can go, there's a track there. Even when you do have somewhere to go, there are vast stretches where there is just nothing to do. I sat watching my train for two minutes with the only thing to do was kill one easily dispatched enemy. Imagine you had to 
climb that ladder between every fight in Metal Gear Solid 3 and you didn't even have the haunting a cappella accompaniment. Well, I should say, I'm interjecting here. There is obviously there is musical accompaniment every time you're riding the train. Uh, that that should be said. Uh, Craig continues. I hated traveling by train so much that I just stopped doing any side quests. There were warps here and there, but they still felt cumbersome to get to and didn't particularly help that much. Uh, it still wouldn't have been the best, but the train had the train upgrades also upgraded your speed. The train experience would imp- have improved tenfold. So three things I want to pick up on there. Exactly what Darren said. Uh, actually, train travel put Craig and me and Darren off doing side quests. That's arguably an issue. Um and uh, the, the, I mean, there are things to do on the track. If you're carrying a passenger, which some of the side quests and a, and a couple of the main quests uh, do, you are supposed to observe the various signs, speed up, slow down, toot your horn, that sort of thing. Um, and there are other things to do because you can shoot things off to the side of the track. Um, you can shoot uh, rocks for coins and uh, hearts and you can capture rabbits. So there are bits to do, but I completely agree um, about the train upgrades to speed and the warps um like train upgrades uh, speed up ups would have been fantastic and in fact that mini game we talked about in the end game shows that they can the engine can handle it you know you can you can uh, crank it right up uh in a sort of super mario style to to a super fast glowing train that would have been nice uh in the rest of the game and also the again the yeah the the warp gates um that you can activate by shooting and then hold your whistle down and go into them it looks cool and it's kind of fun to do but i i i did less fast traveling in this game than in any other game and Hmm. maybe it would have helped but i didn't feel like it was ever very clear or useful i I didn't get one till late game like really late game before the final dungeon maybe and it kind of removed the point of having them because i've already gotten used to traveling around you know the slow way i guess um it looks kind of cool when you go through it, very Back to the Future-esque, you know, it, it reminded me of that. Um, but yeah, ultimately, it was too late, it was too little too late for me with the fast travel. Um, I, mm. But in terms of uh, uh, train speed, I, if they're going to go, you know, if they're going to make a Zelda game, which they have done, you know, pure touch controls, what they should have thrown in a little mini game where you could probably shovel some coal in there to make your train go faster or something, I don't know. But yeah, the train speed was, again, an issue for me. Perhaps you could have bl- uh, blown in the microphone to, to you know, to heat up the coals. I'll turn all you off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the issue with the uh, with the fast travel for me was that you don't. It's not just fast traveling to a place. You have to get to the right place to fast travel to where you want to be. It's not like in yeah. some other Zelda games where you call upon your whatever fast travel Twilight Princess, you have. for instance. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then you just warp to wherever you need to go. If you know where mm. you need to go, you have to go find the corresponding gate. So it's of limited usefulness, I think. Uh, and I didn't use it that much. I did. I, I did at some points, but um, I, I wasn't a big fan of that. <laughs> Yeah, perhaps if they just made it so that you could bring up a warp in front of you wherever you were and it would bring you out at one of the predefined locations, perhaps that would have helped. Yeah. I'm I, I didn't really use it that much just because I I'm starting to realise I'm in the minority here. But I enjoyed you love the train travel. I love yeah. I love the train travel so much that um I I didn't want to use it because I, I actually enjoyed kind of controlling it and uh, and avoiding the obstacles and shooting the boars and and what have you so yeah, I, I liked yeah. it too maybe maybe not quite as much as josh did but i liked <laughs> it <laughs> you didn't have your little engine driver's hat on like josh did going to yeah. I, I did not know <laughs> 
last one on this last piece of correspondence from uh, from Andrew Brown, who says. I like the spirit train, but I like it the same way I like the pirate bits in Assassin's Creed 4. It's out of place in a formula and overwhelms it to the point that I wonder why they didn't make a light train sim rather than cram it into a Zelda video game. Without the sprawling train overworld, Spirit Tracks would be a very small Zelda world indeed, and this affects how it plays as a Zelda. Normally I complete side quests in a Zelda game, and it increases my ability to be effective at other activities by empowering Link. But so many side quests revolve around the Spirit Train, and so few of them empower uh, it that it feels like a lot of work for a significantly delayed reward. I do not, however, agree that the Spirit Train removes openness from Zelda, literally putting it on rails and rendering it totally linear. The truth is, Zelda has been broadly linear and on rails for a long time, probably since the adventure of Link. I think that when we talk about openness in Zelda, we mean an ability to go where we want and when we want to, and Spirit Tracks is no more or less open than any of the other uh, any other Zelda in that regard. And it's not like there isn't things to discover exploring the outer limits of the rail map uncovers new areas that aren't on the map not to mention the rabbits and the warp gates and doing side quests can expand the network further spirit tracks may emphasize pre-established routes but the spirit of discovery is still present and restricting the player's paths allows for more creative set pieces like monster attacks in tunnels the lost woods and navigating the snow realms blizzard uh, but the best that can be said of the spirit train is that uh, it provides realm overworld which is rapidly becoming one of my favorite zelda songs Uh, yeah, so I I also like the the uh, overworld music in this, and it actually it varies depending on which of the four or five key areas you are in, uh, and it also changes in um, sort of uh, urgency and intent depending on the speed you're going at. And as Josh says, uh, as is traditional with Zelda overworlds, the music changes when you're um, near uh, enemies, conflict uh, of any kind or danger. Um, and yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, I didn't play the entire game um, always with the sound turned up all 28 hours, but when I did, I enjoyed it. And uh, I did, yeah, I did like the, I did like the sort of um, the Wild West infused, the you know, the kind of plucking banjo in the background yeah. of, the, uh, of the train track and that sort oh, of I thing. Lo- I love a banjo. So the, the soundtrack for me, <clears throat> um, that, that song in particular is a, is a, is a, is a highlight. Uh, but I was flipping and flopping on on the whole soundtrack. But yeah, that one, that track in particular, like whenever whenever I was travelling anywhere, if I had the sound on, it was it was loud and you know it was a uh, it was it was a good time. Now away from the world of trains, uh, we should talk about sort of scenario and characters and that sort of stuff um i think specifically uh, we, we know this link uh, although this this game is set some point down down the timeline from Phantom Hourglass. It's effectively direct ancestors, isn't it? And this this game takes place right at the far mm. distant end of the Zelda timeline, whereas Skyward Sword, that we'll be talking about in a month, is all the way at the beginning of the the established Zelda timeline. Um, so Zelda was mentioned earlier. Um, one of the things I read says that uh, regarding Tetra. Uh, Iwamoto chose to exclude her in this game due to her prevalence in previous games as a partner to Link. Uh, in deciding the partner, he came to the conclusion that this uh, the partner should be female since they would be adventuring together. While they began to design a new character, uh, they figured that not including Zelda would not be as fun. As a result, Iwamoto asked permission to use Zelda, which Aonima allowed him to do. 
Uh, and Andrew Brown from the forum says, if there's something I admire most about Spirit Tracks, it's the way it handles Zelda. For a character who has been around since the first game, I've been given few opportunities to really get to know any incarnation of Zelda as a character. Usually she is an archetype or a symbol, so it's nice to have Zelda along for the entire journey, and we get to see her evolution from a mischievous idealist to a key part of the quest's success. Much like Linebeck in Phantom Hourglass, the real hero and protagonist of Spirit Tracks is the Princess Zelda herself. Now, we had a conversation uh, among us uh, on the recently established Kane and Rince Slack chat, uh, which is now where we do all our uh, our green room talk and, and whatever else uh, production discussions. Um, those of us coming onto this show were talking about certain elements of Zelda, and I think we widely concurred with what Andrew's saying about you know it was it was good to have her actually kind of active in some way in some way in the game compared to other games where she is literally reduced to being an object uh, a, a statue a, a token a MacGuffin however uh, there were some I it's certainly the first time I saw uh, she's she's been she's crammed her spirit she gets killed this is a spoiler but she gets she gets crammed into an uh, a phantom armor suit as seen in the previous game uh, and you get some control, and obviously that leads to lots of co-op style puzzles. She has certain abilities, and you have certain abilities, and you have to team up, and that leads to a lot of stuff in the dungeons. Uh, but it turns out quite early on that she can't walk past rats without turning into uh, into a sort of squealing wreck. Now, uh, one of the points that was made in our discussion about this was that, you know, hey, if she has uh, whatever the correct word for rat phobia is, uh, then you know that's fair enough but uh, but i certainly was immediately struck by how much like um a sort of 1930s or 40s cartoon it was with the poor little you know the poor little lady uh scared to death of a tiny rodent um which seemed particularly absurd when she was in a large suit of armor now i know phobias are phobias and you can't control them but it, it seemed a little um anachronistic to me all right i have i have to talk about this i think uh yeah. so th- to be fair this did get better because uh when I, I i think that i was probably the one who initiated this discussion to begin with and um i was already thinking it i should yeah. say we don't want you know you to have to you know bear the brow here comes the lady with her <laughs> with her issues yes cracking my knuckles and preparing <laughs> yeah. to bust some some non-feminists um so i I really do like that Zelda is a character in this one. I, I like that she has an active role. I like that she you couldn't get through these dungeons without her. I like that. And, and overall, I do like how she's handled just in general. However, when you first meet Zelda after she's, or when you are first getting into her story and, and you know, and, and know that she has been uh, removed from her body and she's traveling around as a spirit, She's she's talking about how she can well first at first she's resistant of the idea of coming along with Link, which is fine, you know. I mean I'd I'd be freaked out by that too. You know, it's it's a big commitment and everything, and then she she mm. kind of gets convinced, okay. But the reason that she is convinced is not because she wants to save her kingdom or that, you know, she she thinks that she has this duty because she's the princess and she should be taking care of her people. It's because Ew, they might have my body and they might... Ew, it's a monster. I, monster can't have that. That that bothered me, first of all. And mm-hmm. then 
when, as you say, you go into the dungeon with her and she's, you know, in this oh, oh horrible, smelly suit of armor, um, she, yes, has a phobia of rats, which, I mean, I understand phobias. I am, I personally don't like spiders, you know, but as the, <laughs> I think the further that the, the rat phobia thing goes along, the more ridiculous it sort of becomes. She's literally standing in plumes of fire and walking through lava for you. And it is for you as Link. It's not because, mm -hmm. at least to begin with, it is. And she still can't even walk past. I mean, I, I'm surprised she can even see them at this point. Particularly mm. ridiculous for me in the final battle when she is walking towards her body, literally walking into a laser that only she can survive and only then because she is in this armor. And still she'll scream and freak out because of ghost rats. Like, I... Mm -hmm. I get it. Ghost rats, yes, that's that's freaky. But you're you're trying to recover your body from this evil thing that is trying to take over the world and you can't just stomp past a couple of rats. I mean, that's that's where it starts to not even starts. That's I, it's it's comparatively a little thing because I do for the most part like how Zelda is handled in this game, but it just really bothers me. I think for me it's the fact that if this was a male companion, do we honestly believe that they would include this? Like nope. that's yeah, that's totally. the, mm -hmm. the question that kind of breaks any defense of it for me. And and also, um this isn't the first time we've encountered, you know, characters with rat phobias. All of the princesses you have to rescue from the ghost ship in uh uh, Phantom Hourglass all struggle from the same phobia. Oh, like, oh no, yeah. it wasn't from rats, it was from spiders, I believe, or something like that. Was it? Right. Yeah. I, can't I think it was from anything, yeah. basically. Oh, pretty much anything, yeah. But it, it's just that, like, oh, they're female people that you have to rescue. Of course, they're going to be um, reduced to, you know, scared wrecks the moment anything comes along. And then to have this repeated with, you know, a more established character like Zelda, just because, well, she's a woman, so she'd be scared, wouldn't she? Even though she's literally staring the apocalypse down, you know... Down, like she's staring at herself with you know evil space wizard powers and yet the rats are still scarier than what she's confronted with i i I'd like i realize that phobias are overwhelming but in the face of those kind of like odds like if you're literally like looking at a, a nu an imminent like nuclear apocalypse i think most people would get over their you know phobia of spiders and realize that you know maybe turning off that bomb that's over there is slightly more pressing than their fear <laughs> of spiders i you know i just they push it to a point where it's it's beyond it beyond it's beyond the point where it, you can make that defense it's just silly to, to be fair, though, I, I winced when I saw those rats because I remember them from the Fountain of Phantom Hourglass and I hated those puzzle designs. I just thought they were really boring. So, I mean, maybe Zelda's shrieking because, oh, no, not more of these puzzles involving these <laughs> stupid rats. And maybe see, that's what it is. There isn't even much of a puzzle. You push the block in front of the hole. Yeah, but that's why I don't like <laughs> those rat puzzles because they're annoying mm. and they're really boring. <laughs> I just, you know, that, that that's my personal take on rats. But, yeah, I... Yeah, I completely agree with what you've both, you know, all three of you said about, you know, lady, therefore, rats are scary. It's just ridiculous. And Princess Zelda, you know, you kind of hope they'd write her in a more 
you know, a more brave she's way, a, I guess. She's a world leader, you know. I, I, I would expect a, a modicum of bravery from somebody in a position of power in government, although I'm saying that uh, <laughs> as the whole world is falling down around yeah. us. But, um, <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so how about the, the sort of supporting cast of characters and, and the, the, the general, I mean... I, I, the plot i mean i don't know it's, mm. it, it, it almost feels redundant at this point because you, you know basically but there is you know there is there's no ganon here there's there's a power behind the throne kind of situation with chancellor cole who when he first turns out i thought he was a really cool funny character design uh with his twin green top hats and then he almost within like within 20 minutes reveals that he's got a horn under each hat and he's this sort of impish devil figure and then you don't um, see him again for like 20 hours you really yeah. He's not really there yeah. through most of the game. Yeah, he's kind of um, he wants to invoke this maladus uh, demon, which is which is new to this particular game. Um, there's a, there's a, a another kind of uh, sub baddie called Burn who uh, who gets a gets a redemption, which is um, I don't don't feel like it's something we've seen lots of times in Zelda. Normally, it's you straight good and evil, isn't it? In in these situations. Um, so that was something, but I didn't, you know, there's there's very little writing to kind of, you know, I mean, there are speech bubbles and, and they have exchanges, but there's not, you know, there's not a great deal to get hold of. Um, and, and overall, I, I, like, I didn't feel there's the little train kind of sages, sage characters. Um, I thought they kind of looked a bit daft and I didn't really warm to them. Um you know, there's there's your link friends, Nico and Alfonso. Um, and I, I felt it was all a bit um, sort of I'm looking at them visually now and it all it, it although they obviously hark back to Wind Waker art, it all feels a bit scattershot. Like it looked like they were partly attempting to make characters look more distinct from one another than in previous games. So like your your main Gorons all look they've got sort of more colours and more different tattoos and that sort of thing. And the people in the villages have got more kind of sizes and shapes and um and sort of distinguishing features. Um but I feel like I don't know it felt it all felt a bit um disjointed to me and and like it it didn't convince as and I, and I know this sounds silly I, I'm a 44 and a half year old man talking about being convinced by a fairy tale land video game but sometimes they really do like the, the like the world of twilight princess um not just because of the extra you know the the extra power in, in the graphics and stuff but it felt like a coherent fantasy land to me whereas this felt like a bunch of disparate locations put together for the sake of being on a map to facilitate you going around a map if you see what i mean so here's something that i thought was a little off and maybe maybe somebody else can explain this to me so nico who you are living with at the beginning of the game mm -hmm. um is the same nico from yeah that's uh, right. From Wind yeah. Waker. But Zelda's talking about Tetra like she's this ancient ancestor who she never could possibly have met. And there there are some other kind of nods in that direction that seem like it's been longer than longer than necessarily one person really longer than a generation, I suppose. So I, I don't know. Is that just something that they overlooked or was that intentional? Do you all think or? How, how? I think they got it wrong, or either that or it was lost in translation. Anyone else? Well, the the Spirit Tracks is takes place over 100 years, according to the wiki. So um, maybe he's got some, you know, aging potion that's, you know, stopping him from 
dying. I quite like the fact that it was um, Nico from Wind Waker, but yeah, it doesn't really. It feels like it's a connection for the sake of a connection. If you know what I mean, yeah. because it's the sequel to a sequel to Wind Waker. I, I, I therefore, liked, you have I liked to. that he was in there. I just I, hmm. it, it seemed a little a little off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, when you first turn it on, and you you know you you do the prologue, I was really weirded out by this young Link is a roommate with this old man. Like, I, I, I appreciate the connection, but I, all right, yeah, sure, old man, I'll, I'll live in your house. <laughs> it was, well, it was a bit weird. In the, in the Minish Cap, he used to sleep with his hat, which was an old man, and they used to share a bed and cuddle, so, um, you know. That makes it all right. Yeah. <laughs> I just think, you know, Nico just made sure he ate his green vegetables and exercised an hour a day. So, and it just paid off. So, you <laughs> his know. body was all right, but his but his brain less yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, Nico's yeah, no, 150 they, years old is what you're telling me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, in regards uh, to the characters, though, I I generally didn't find them as bothersome as you Liam um, the only one that bothered me was the, the bunny-o man he was just a bit <laughs> bunny-o come on what is that That's, and this is coming from a world where you know Gorons exist that are just two brown blobs with nipples you know what I mean like bunny-o just is a weird one because it felt forced like it, it might just be a man it's, dressed yeah. up as as a bunny character but it's the, the, the side quest related to it just doesn't fit it's such a taste. weird thing isn't it how and again, it will be different for everybody, completely subjective based on their own experience. But it's so weird how you can have a whole bunch of completely, you know, ludicrous fantasy characters. Mm-hmm. But there are some things which you'll 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 happily accept. You'll go, yeah, okay. There's a there's a tribe of rock people who eat rocks, and they've got you know they've got spherical bodies and big guts and tattoos. And then a man dressed as a rabbit, you're like, nah, not happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, and that's kind of how I felt about the train people. Like they didn't feel as convincing to me and wheels, i'm thinking though. back to yeah, it, <laughs> well they're kind of cute but they're also a little bit odd and, and i like things that are a little bit odd and creepy in the zelda games like i miss the fact that this doesn't have much creepiness in it like uh, uh playing this really made me hark back to how kind of special life you know how 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 exceptional like Majora's Mask made made me feel and the atmosphere that I got from that game and when I first saw Chancellor Cole with his twin top hats I was thinking oh this could be something a little bit odd but in the end he becomes you know a completely bog standard generic I mean there's something there's you know alluding to the fact that he's kind of diabolical he's devilish that that is perhaps slightly more edgy than we're used to from the western Zelda games we talked you know over a year ago now about uh or about a year ago about the you know the religious illusions in the early zeldas which obviously as nintendo has become more sensitive and more internationally focused they've moved away from you know bibles and and um other you know uh, crucifixes and all that sort of thing but here we have a character who is effectively you know a kind of demon um, but then, yeah, there's other stuff in it, which, yeah, like Bunny-O, which Bunny-O just, I mean, it makes me laugh, but I know exactly what you're, what you're saying, Darren. It just, it is just slightly at odds with all the mm. other silliness, but some, for somebody else, I could imagine somebody saying, oh, I love Bunny-O. He was so yeah. cute. And, yeah. you know, on the flip side for me, though, the postman, when you meet him and he comes running mm. in, doing the motions of the train with his arms, <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. Like, yeah, more of that, please. Yeah, they've got uh, some of them got still, you know, they've they've kept up this thing of of the NPCs having really weird faces. Um and again, like some of them I find very appealing, like Bridge Worker. He's just look, he looks so furious. 
uh, and he's you know he's got the two tusks sticking out the corner of his mouth and he's got his neckerchief and he's got no pupils which should make him look terrifying but in some somehow they've made him look even though he's frowning with tusks and no pupils he actually looks like oh he could be all right <laughs> i don't know how, how do you even do that um beetle looks exactly like beetle from the other games and, weird um but then you've got a whole load of these characters at the um uh, to hyrule castle town and and whittleton which are uh you know they, they look all right but but again they're just there's nothing that really kind of really captured my imagination in this one in the same way that some other zeldas have guys guys the train sage's name is Anjin. And, and get, do, you, do you get it? Engine. Yeah. Okay. One of steam. Just yeah. saying. Carbon. Um, and Angine is obviously uh, a reference to Anjou as well, isn't it? Who is one of the things where you've got the, the names that kind of, um, you know, echo through history. Some of the, uh, like, mm. you know, Malon and Talon and mm. all that sort of thing. Anjou's come up before, as in the Anjou and Cafe. So. Yes. Uh, yeah, pun, puns are us in, in spirit tracks for sure. Um, <clears throat> so we're coming back on to, we've talked a little about the music, um, but we also want to talk about the playing the, the pipes mechanic uh, and, uh, and what we think about that. So um, on, the, on the OST overall, I would, I would concur with what's already been sort of hinted at, that I think it's a, it's a stronger set of tunes than Phantom Hourglass had. There were more where I was actually thinking, oh, I like this piece. Like, I like the piece where you walk up to the uh, walk up in the tower, the central tower, and it builds as you go higher. Um, there's a few other pieces here and there, which um, some, some are reused from Phantom Hourglass, but some are all new compositions. Uh, it's the usual uh, group of composers who are credited, Tor- Tori Minigishi, uh, Mana- Manaka Tominaga, uh, actually, who isn't such a regular, who's done some work on these games, uh, as well as Animal Crossing, uh, Asuka, Ota, and, of course, Koji Kondo should be credited because there are uh, uh, leitmotifs and things from uh, earlier Zelda games. Um so yeah, I, I thought that was I thought the overall OST was was nice, and in fact, the tunes that you end up playing uh, when you do successfully play the the panpipes, uh, there's some really nice stuff in there. I think, and the final tune when you get them all together, even if it is uh, potentially headache-inducing trying to get them to do it, although it actually only took me uh, on the DS, it didn't take me very long at all. Um, it was yeah, but there there was some. It reminded me again, and, and we talked about the musicality of Zelda all the way through the series, and it reminded me a little bit of the Ballad of the Windfish and that sort of thing going on, which is you know nice nice throwback. Um, uh, so yeah, the pipes. Now um, we should say before we talk about this that uh, yeah, firstly we've acknowledged already that playing doing this on Wii U is considerably more difficult to the point that it's arguably broken, um, but even doing it on the DS. Now, this does hark back to the very first The Legend of Zelda game. We talked about this because the the original Japanese Famicom had a microphone in the controller. This is way back in 1980, you know, whatever, whenever the Famicom was released in Japan, 83 or something. Um, the first Zelda came out there in 1986. And uh, there was that enemy, the, the Pulse Voice, I think it's called, where you shouted into the mm-hmm. microphone to make it, to make it you know... Um, hide so you can kill it uh and so this idea of interacting with zelda the the zelda games through sound through a microphone is is nothing new and um you know it's traditional and whatever else but in this case so i don't yeah i don't think i'm as negative about this as as josh 
is because I probably because I wasn't playing it on a commute. But I still think there is an issue with as much as I I thought it was neat in like theoretically cool. Like you 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 have to be holding on the the touch screen with the stylus and blowing into the microphone at the same time and sliding the pipes up and down so that you're blowing into the correct pipe as you play. I think it's a really clever idea. However, the reality is uh, that it's very easy to miss the microphone if you're looking at the screen at the same time, which you tend to be to be moving the things. You have to hold everything in a really kind of weird way. Um, now, i got to say uh, that doing this in public wouldn't bother me, but I'm 20 years older than Josh. So tell us your tell us your uh, <laughs> pipe, your pipes on the train experience. Well, um, for me, it, it's just that this this is a portable game. It's designed to be, for all intents, you know, intensive purposes. It's kind of designed to be played on the move when you're out and about, where, you know, away from home or on the train or what have you. And I'm not. I'm not five years old, so I can't get away with randomly um, blowing into a machine in front of me, in front of 20-odd people in a carriage, without everyone wondering what the hell is going on with that guy there. Um, and the kind of social anxiety of blowing into this device uh, trying desperately not to get the tune wrong and also being super aware that that granny over there has started to get very worried and uh, <laughs> might pull out her phone and call the police um, so um, I ended up giving up on um, playing this on the move um, so I, I ended up just playing this at home and uh, to be honest I still have problems with it um, just be, I mean, honestly, I'm just not a fan of blowing into a device to make anything happen when buttons are an option. This, um, this may like, not be the game for you. Yeah, <laughs> I just, it's just, and and <clears throat> this problem extends to the 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 um, you know the wind generating. To, I forgot the name of it. The um, pinwheel. No, pinwheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you have to use that and you have to blow into the game as well, like. Any time you have to do that, it's just why it's so much more precise to just push a button and it's asking mm. me to do this. And the weird, like, I'm playing this on the 3DS um, XL and I have massive hands. Um, I'm a big guy and my hands are huge. I can and, vouch for this. Um, uh, the, the contortions I have to put my hands in in order to both manipulate the stylus and make sure that, you know, a big chunk of my lower hand isn't covering up the tiny <laughs> hole that is the mic in order to play this pan pipe meant that it was absolutely annoying every time I had to do it. Now... I, it, I don't. I don't think I can compare my experience to Darren's because at least when I was in the right position and everything was where it needed to be, I could, with some re reliability, play the tune that was asked of me. But the fact that I was being asked to do that at all was really annoying. Uh, Mummy, what's the funny big bear man doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't have quite as as much of a problem as that, um, largely, I suppose, because I have tiny, tiny girl hands. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no. So I was I played a a fair amount of this ill. Um, so 
having to consistently be blowing into my DS. And as Josh says, I was also playing on a 3DS XL. And um, it took me a while to even figure out where the microphone is. It's kind of below the power button. It's like, really, it's not obvious at all. But um, yeah, just, you know, having to pause every once in a while to cough or blow my nose or whatever. I, I probably should disinfect my, my DS now that, that I'm more or less done. Yeah, it, um, it, it they use it for everything, though. You have to blow into your little pinwheel. You have to blow dust off maps. You have to blow into it for your pipes. It's, uh, it's very uh, a very possibly overutilized feature. So during my... Um you know, my, my anger with the Wii U version. Uh, I was playing in bed because you can take the game, I can take the gamepad away and I can, um, you know, I can play it in bed and uh, that's fine. So we've all got the wife to the left of me, baby in front of us, just chilling out and they're both watching telly mm-hmm. and I'm there furiously blowing at this little screen in my hand and I've got, you know, I had quite cold breath so I felt guilty like blowing cold breath over everyone in the bed, <laughs> like, but really angry, like, <gasps> they're like, I was like, you okay? I'm like, no, I'm really not okay. She's like, well, I'm getting a bit cold everywhere. Can you stop it? And I was like, so not only was I angry at the game, but hyperventilating. Like, yeah, it's it's. I can't imagine playing that in public. Like, imagine let, let's say for example, you know, the the gamepad on the Wii U was you know what the Switch is is doing. Yeah. If you could take that out on about, and you were taking the gamepad on the train. Oh, you you would get arrested for huffing and puffing so heavily in front of the micro screen. You you would. It's, 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 assume it's been confirmed that the switch the switch screen has no microphone. So that's hopefully this will be the end. This will be the end of well, all this. Yeah, all we, this I was talking about this with our Sean O'Brien, I think, and um, we were talking about Nintendo's ability to completely knacker a game with only one option of control. I think it started with Star Fox Zero and. Um, uh, but the Nintendo have got a really good legacy of making their games significantly worse because there's no option of control. Kid Icarus Uprising, Donkey Kong Country Returns on the Wii. There's uh, there's so many examples of Nintendo just going, this is how you play it, bye. Like, Josh they commit, they commit, they're stubborn, yeah, they absolutely, if they they decide something is an innovation that they that they want to, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. they, they've done it with whole machines before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in the case of the Wii, it paid off for them big style in some senses, in a financial and commercial sense, but arguably, uh, you know, it, motion controls have become kind of synonymous with a certain type of game and a certain type of gamer and... Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I have really mixed feelings because I actually, as I say, the theory of it and when it works, I actually enjoyed playing the pipes in this, and I, I wasn't, you know, I do take my my 3ds XL with me everywhere I go, pretty much, um, and. I am now of an age where I don't really have that same self consciousness about. You know, you know how um, middle aged people to old people kind of do weird things in public. It's mm. because they don't care anymore <laughs> about what people think of them so i would just be like i i i mean i'm not saying i never still you know experience anxiety or self-consciousness but there comes a point where you just realize that probably there's someone weirder in the next you know next seat down anyway and people either don't care or they'll just assume that you've got a very dusty screen or some kind of weird tick or, or something so it wouldn't particularly bother me playing this on the train but then there are other other factors like um external noise you know could 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 make doing these bits difficult um with the you know the microphone actually picking up other things or or whatever else so yeah it's i mean yeah just just I agree with Darren. Just please give the option, even if, you know, if people want to blow into the mic to blow the pinwheel because it 
it adds some sort of level of fun immersion which i think it can do and i do get a little buzz out of blowing into a game and it and it, it i get you know how people talk about toys to life stuff where you put a skylander on the portal of power or whatever and it appears in the game i get that same little sense of excitement when i blow the pinwheel and it or, or where i blow, blow a candle out in zelda like it's a it's a total you know it's a total magic trick because it's just like it's just basically a, an if then statement it, you know if if microphone picks up noise then erase candle from game you know whatever it's but it you know you can be reductionist about about the whole thing in in that same way but yeah it it it's a weird thing it, uh, and i think more more the issue is the, the way you end up kind of for me was the way you end up holding the con- the console and and not being able to see the notes and play the notes at the same time and stuff like that but yeah but when it worked i actually thought it was quite neat i was kind of hoping that because i failed so many times at this pan flute business that it would give me a kind of parappa the rapper style metronome you know follow this guideline well it, yeah but there's a metronome it, down the bottom that swings but it's at, yeah. it's at the bottom of the screen where i'm not focusing i kind of wouldn't mind no. a little like a little line that just follows it gives me a time in you know sense of timing to follow um mm. for a game that feels Comparative, relatively simple compared to other Zelda games. There are moments where it doesn't want to help you progress, um, and that's a prime example of it. It's like, no, you will have to brute. Well, I, I will have to brute force this moment. And uh, Nintendo games have got better at helping hands. You know, like oh, you failed too many times at a Mario game, have a gold suit or whatever. But this one, it was like, oh, just give me a little, little helping hand. Like, give me a like a little link face scrolling by the pan flute notes, and uh, I can blow in time to the music better. Mm. The idea is, I think that you are supposed to listen to the preceding four bars and then copy the the, the tempo when you play the next four mm. bars. That's sort of, I think, it's sort of part of the part of the puzzle mm-hmm. the, or the part of the rhythm action game. But yeah, no, I mean, why not make it slightly less irksome? Now, perhaps, uh, perhaps more positive talk uh, for the next section as we consider the various temples, uh, not dungeons. These are. Uh, well, there's the Tower of Spirits, which uh, kind of um, replaces the controversial uh, returning dungeon from Phantom Hourglass with its uh, repeated sections and time limit. Uh, the repeated sections and time limit have been removed, uh, but you do still have a central area that you return to and uh, and need to work your way through um, bit by bit. Then outside of that, you've got the expected and more predictable forest temple, snow, ocean, fire, sand, uh, and an optional one, lost at sea, which I didn't find. Um, but that's, uh, that's neat. There's, an, there's a whole extra dungeon in there if you, uh, if you seek it out. Um, so uh, at the risk of really repeating what I said from the Phantom Hourglass podcast, um, these were probably the highlights of the game for me. Um, dungeons and bosses, actually, the, uh, the outside of the, the train tracks and playing the pan pipes and all that sort of thing, the pan flute. Uh, the dungeon puzzles and progression through dungeons and the the climax of the dungeons with um, what always, to me, felt like uh, solvable, intelligent and rewarding boss fights. Um, after a good you know in each case probably they're not they're not tend to be not that huge the temples in this game but after i don't know like 30 to 45 minutes maybe of puzzling through dungeons um i think i had a good time with everyone i the only time i 
really uh, felt I needed to go to a walkthrough was the final section of the Tower of Spirits, which is I, I thought was an absolute brute of a convoluted puzzle. Um, and I kind of lost sense of where I was and what I was doing. So I needed to put myself back on the right track. Otherwise, I was concerned that I wouldn't get the game done uh, in time for the podcast. Um, but other than that, I, I had a had a thoroughly good time playing all of these and would have been happy if it was just a series of these rather than all the stuff with the trains and the, and the pipes. Uh, Darren, how about you and this game's temples? Hmm. Yeah, the temples for me were kind of um, a progressively... You know, it increased in quality the further I went on. Um, that doesn't include the, the you know, the, the the core returnable dungeon. Um, you know, I, I I was like you, Leon. But by the time I got to that final bit, I a was already read. I think at one point Zelda says, "Oh, this could be the last time we return here." And mm. but it wasn't. It was the penultimate. So mm. you end up going back there again, and I was like, "Oh no!" And not only that, like I wasn't up for another part of you know that that dungeon. Um, it was really hard, like you say, and it was just kind of felt like they just put a massive spike in it for the, the sake of it being an end game. And I ended up using a walkthrough because, you know, time is precious. Um, but having said that, the actual dungeons around the world, um, I found them really and en- really enjoyable, and they did progress in quality. Um, you know, the first mm. kind of couple were, you know, so-so with a fun boss fight. But very straightforward. Very yeah, straightforward, early you know. Ones, yeah. yeah, kind of boilerplate stuff. But then, uh, the, uh, it's a shame it was the last one, but the Sand Temple finished before i knew it and that's because it was so much fun for me like that that wand you get where you raise the sand out the floor to make columns like i couldn't believe i was at the end of the temple that quickly i got in there i was like mm. oh let's play and you know that's that that, that means you know to me the dungeons are short um compared to other zelda games but this sand temple i even underlined it several times when i write, write my notes sand temple is brilliant because i got in there i <laughs> did the thing and i, I was like I didn't want that to be over. I, I, the sand temple for me is the, the peak of the temples, but um, getting right. into it was a bit of a chore with the turrets around it. Um, you know, you, you got those like there was there was far too many turrets around the temple for me to get into, and I found that a bit boring and kind of I don't know. Maybe if I could upgrade my turret somehow on my train, it would be a bit more enjoyable. But as we said earlier, there was no real opportunity for that. Uh, but yeah, overall, the, the dungeons and therefore the bosses were were, were a good time until late game and uh, you know that's a shame because it was getting better and better and better the Sand Temple being an absolute pinnacle of the, the game for me and then beyond that was a was a bit of a letdown hmm. Josh any uh, highlights from the temples any items or puzzles that stood out for you yeah um, so for me um, the temples that really stood out for me were the ocean fire and sand temple um i i mm. agree with darren i i think the sand temple really stands out just because it's so breezy and fun um mm. and the the sand wand was just made for the stylus like it, it's such mm-hmm. a fun yeah. thing to use with that control scheme and um especially the the um the boss battle in that temple um well, Skeldrich, that's his name, um, like where that. you're um, kind of manipulating his boulders to um, onto the catapults using the sand wand and trying to catch him out with those and destroy him piece by piece. Like I love that, and that was a really good use of of you know a temple um, item for the final boss. Um, I thought that was really clever. Yeah, I I'm, I mean the central temple, I, I think is. 
a much better execution of that idea than um, Phantom Hourglass. Um, just it turns out removing the clock and um, and the uh, and repeating those uh, older sections that's all that needed to happen for me to actually enjoy that. And and to be honest, like I, I actually really liked going back to that area, and I thought there was some some really clever stuff with um, Zelda in that armor, kind of. Um, using her to traverse um, lava and then kind of um, they kind of layer that on a bit with areas that uh, are completely in darkness and Zelda is the only one producing light so you have to manipulate her to kind of use her sword to turn on torches and stuff like that I, I, re- I really enjoyed all that stuff and, and, and of course because it's a DS game there's a lot of scribbling on the map um, and kind of lining up lines to find the hidden object and, and stuff like that and I, and I still really enjoy all that stuff as well um, and I think there was a lot less of um, kind of the busy work that was maybe in Phantom Hourglass um, just everything was a lot more memorable in these temples and yeah I think they did a really good, great job especially the last three mm. Leah? <laughs> Yeah, I um I agree. I have um a a fondness for that central temple uh, like Josh was saying that I did not have for uh, the one in Phantom Hourglass. Uh I I like that you can go back to previous floors and there's reason to do so once you get more of the items that you need to get all of the treasures and to get everything and, and completely clear out those floors, but doors stay unlocked so uh, you don't have to solve every single puzzle in every single floor again you can kind of quickly go through them if you need to, to and also there you can skip to straight to the um whatever chunk or whatever uh, block of floors you want to because you have that little kind of elevator thingy in the middle um so y- you yeah. don't have to go ever back to uh any of those floors if you don't want to but you can and it's uh it's streamlined if you do so uh yes i i was much happier with with this version of the central dungeon than i was with phantom hourglasses mm, i found it. um when you could put zelda into the bodies of the phantoms that there, there were various types you go you got the wrecker and the, the standard and i can't remember warping. the the warping one Fire. that's right yeah, yeah. The, um i got really confused at the point where um she could um, move blocks. It, it, I don't think it ever told me that, or maybe I missed it. But there was a point. I where think I'll... it was just implicit by the size of the block that. Right. That, yeah, I think that's how I read it. It was like, mm. okay, they, these look like movable blocks, but they yeah. look too big for yeah. Link. So I just assumed. Yeah, I just never really put two and two together to drag, you know, the the stylus over to the block, and yeah, it really perplexed me for a little while, and I felt that I found that a bit frustrating, but not as frustrating as this little minor quibble that I have with the dungeons. When mm. you when you open a door. Why is there no roof? Why is it just black? Where's the where's the roof design? <laughs> like, it, it bothered me with Phantom Hourglass. But when you put a silver key in a door and the camera sort of lowers down below, kind of Link's waist, you can see uh-huh. that you can see above him, and there's just nothing. And to me, it feels uh. unfinished. It feels like a game that mm. isn't completely like Zelda Dungeons. Uh, for me, when I take I good, great you're pleasure, right, actually, I take yeah. great pleasure in going into a dungeon pressing C up or whatever button it is to look around and going yeah, wow yeah, they've yeah. made a brilliant like a solid, dungeon here yeah no I, that's so weird like i've been you know i, I first played phantom hourglass uh t- 10 years ago and 
I totally like somewhere in my brain I've acknowledged what, exactly what you've just said, but I've never like consciously thought it. But now you say it, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, it, that's, it, it, that's it really it really pulled me out. It always does pull me out of the experience, and I know it's a two D Zelda game in gameplay, so therefore, you know, it links to the past. You had never had the opportunity for the camera to look up against the ceiling, but in this in this game, it does. It is a three D game, so when the camera points up towards the ceiling, there's no ceiling. It looks like a vast void mm. of nothingness. Like there's lights up there because I can see the floor. Make a roof and. It's, it's part of the reason why I turned Phantom Hourglass off because it didn't feel <laughs> cohesive. Like, and it's really nitpicky, I know. But no, if, these if, things are important. Aren't if we're playing a Zelda like, game, yeah. I, I want to. I want the experience. Like the Dongo's Cavern, when you first walked into there and you press C up to look around, it's breathing. It's there. It's around you. And mm. when the camera points up and you open in the door, you get the little jingle and you know the dopamine kicks in. Yeah. But then the black void annoys me. They probably should have just not moved the camera, just rather yeah. than mm-hmm. dip the camera down, just continue, you know, because the 2D games didn't do it, and we love those, right? Yeah, You know, Link right, to yeah. the Past and everything. So, And I think A Link Between Worlds probably maintains its 2D-ness for the most part as well, mm-hmm. even though it's actually, you know, it's polygon. Yeah, uh, arguably more game. 3D than Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, so... Yeah, it's making yeah. me... Um, it's making me think of early uh, corridor shooters or Doom clones that where the, if you had a machine that wasn't powerful enough to render the ceiling, you could turn the turn that off. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, I remember playing games on the Amiga when which was you know underpowered for Doom clones. You could play a game where there was no ceiling texture because obviously that would massively uh, improve your processing time. So, but in hmm. this case, it was a uh, is a static shot and and it's pretty much and it's a machine that um, you know can handle enough polygons to have a at least a little arch over the doorway or something yeah yeah, yeah. yeah strange thing uh, i think mm-hmm. um one of my highlights uh temple wise was the uh, the snow temple i know i'm always su- a sucker for the snow temple but it's the um the puzzle that involved dragging the three different size bells into a central room and then playing a mm, tune and also the, the the you get the traditional boomerang there but i don't remember in a previous game and i know we've played the ball in the space of a year so i should know but the fact that you can both melt and uh, you can melt snow by having the fire boomerang to clear spaces and very cool you can uh, you can freeze water by making it an ice boomerang and make mm. a path across water by freezing it uh, and again this is like where the stylus provides certain um sort of a nice interface that you perhaps couldn't do with any other method of control where it feels like the the gimmickry in inverted commas actually serves the game rather than is detrimental to it so i enjoyed that but yeah that final the final section of of the central tower the tower of spirits um yeah i really like you go between four different floors i think the 26th to the 30th maybe Mm. five floors four Mm -hmm. or five floors anyway and each floor kind of uh you have to go down three separate paths with three separate small keys and each of the paths you need a different one of the phantoms and to get a different phantom you have to go back into a dark room with all the different kinds of phantom and it's quite easy to get to alert the other phantoms and get hit and then you get taken back to the room with with some health lost and so on um and I think even though this game, as with uh, Phantom Hourglass, though there's no bottle collecting, it allows you to uh, stack up a couple of flasks of health potion. You can have the purple one, which um, gives you eight hearts upon dying. So you don't even have to worry about actually dying because it will resurrect you. Um, or you can have the red for fewer hearts or the gold for more. Um, 
I still remember, you know, I did get like effectively partially game overed in this game quite a bit um, in various circumstances. Um, sometimes just because things do it to you in one hit, and um, sometimes because there are some, you know, some quite testy, testy sections. Um, but then other times, you know, I would go for hours and hours without barely any you know with any harm coming to me or sometimes i think i completed one or two of the bosses without even taking a hit because they're so kind of pleasantly telegraphed and obvious as to how you solve their particular puzzle you know you walk into the room you know that you're going to be using the item that you've recently picked up and so it's just a it's a case of working out especially as we've all come off the back of uh, pretty much come off the back of playing Phantom Hourglass and some of the, the concepts were familiar, like using the second screen as as a kind of a way of seeing what you're doing, like looking through a different character's eye or from a different perspective. So yes, uh, as is often the case for me, this is where the real strength of the game was. Uh, talking about the uh, dungeons, temples, uh, Craig says uh, the dungeons are well designed and in the first half of each you use the item you gained in the previous dungeon which gives a longer life to your gadgets yeah and that is true and in, and of course uh, later in the game you're using uh, many of the items um, kind of sequentially or, or in yeah one after the other to to solve various puzzles swinging with the whip then shooting an eye with an arrow uh, then hitting a switch with a uh, with a boomerang oh and another element that I don't think we'd seen before is the the arrows that um, that are in the in the the world that you can use to redirect your arrows that you shoot, they are now portable. Um, so that opened up some slightly more um, elaborate and sort of satisfying logic puzzles. I thought, especially once you factored in the different heights of the terrain and the fact that you could have Zelda Phantom hold arrows and throw them onto different plinths and stuff like that. There was, you know, it was quite a lot of sort of meaty but not overwhelming puzzles i thought for for the most part i found the whip to be supremely satisfying i don't know if it was just any if it's just me but the fact that it's got a little face it, you know it just it's yeah it felt like i was whipping a snake at people and that was that was pretty cool um there's a nice mechanic in which you whip uh, wooden poles that are stuck in the ceiling or you know or, or not ceiling in this case um yeah but the void the void yeah exactly um and it's it was quite satisfying you know indiana jones in your way from bit to bit and there are there are moments where you're scaling a tower-esque type thing and the game goes kind of 2d on you like you know traditional 2d platformer and you are whipping your way up uh, there's some cool bits where you you grab the, and in the boss as well you whip thorns out of the the you know the vine or the enemy and mm. you, you know you, you use it as a as a projectile as a weapon it's very satisfying but on on the on the on the flip side to that when you were falling from a wooden pole down to a lower one, did anyone else find it really hard to grab onto the lower one? Or was that just Sometimes. me? Yeah, I, I, it felt kind of inconsistent with how mm. the, the regular wooden poles acted. Like, oh, there's one down the bottom here, and I had to tap the screen multiple times to to attempt to grab it. And sometimes I'd miss, and that's fine, but sometimes it didn't even recognise it was there at all. Whereas the ones that are on an even plane felt... You know, it felt spot on. Whereas in this case, it wasn't. Um, but yeah, the whip and the San Juan for me were were a particular highlight. I I, I like some of the animation with that whip. Um, so in the Ocean Temple, there are parts where you have to extract swords from these fish mm. statue mouths. <laughs> and first of all, I kind of just like the way Link kind of drags the sword out of their mouth and then whips <laughs> the sword behind. Him, but then also then the fish statue starts 
like doing this. Oh no, I want I want the sword back <laughs> to Link, and and I found that animation really adorable. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, the whips are highlight, and I do like that it's a snake. Just it's a little touch, like because you know mechanically it is just a grappling hook, but having that little bit of you know personality injected in uh, makes all the difference. So we talked about the the sort of the train uh, evil train dark world pac-man game um <laughs> which i thought was going to drive me insane but then i got it on about my maybe fourth or fifth attempt uh it's not exactly the same every time because the trains do have a certain amount of um well i, I, I hesitate calling it ai but they 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 do change their movement from one game to another depending on where you are um but it is effectively a puzzle as to which order to tackle things and you have to take out five six trains i think it is um when you're powered up uh so but this is just the first of is it five sequences that you have to do to effectively to to finish the game um now there are checkpoints uh well there's a, <laughs> there's a checkpoint and at one point i died uh on the penultimate form i think um i'd used up my health learning one of the earlier sections which we'll talk about and when it when you respawn it puts you back in the light world and i genuinely thought i was going to have to do the pac-man train game and the 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 kind of train on train Mm. boss fight as Mm. well again i was that was actually one of the first times i can remember in years where i actually felt kind of the blood drain from my face and like i was thinking i can't i just can't I was thinking, like, am I not going to be able to do this? And what am I going to do? Am I going to have to go on the show and fess up that I couldn't face the end? Anyway, so I, I thought, right, I'll, I'll, I'll take a breath and come back to it, see if we can do it. And then turns out that you go back into the dark world and you are actually checkpointed at the start of uh, the top of the train uh, fight with uh, with Chancellor Cole and his uh, and his uh, possessed Zelda. Um, and that bit took me a little while to work out and I found somewhat irksome and frustrating. This is where the ghost rats that we mentioned an hour or more ago um, and a laser beam keeps knocking you back. And every time you don't hit one of the ghost rats, Phantom Zelda gets possessed and you have to detach her from no. puppet strings. Uh, I found that quite annoying. Then there's a sec- after that, after you beat that, there's a section where you have to defend zelda who is powering up having got it back into her body uh you have to defend her from beast maladus's uh what did you call this earlier josh oh his meteor breath meteor breath yeah uh which is again it's one of those things where when once you've practiced it like 19 times it seems quite easy but for the first 19 times it seems really annoying um and again is very reliant on the very imprecise uh sort of slashing and spinning control methods and oh my god when you accidentally dizzy yourself when you're on the final uh swirl of clearing out those meteors and she gets hit by one and oh i'm gonna have to start again now uh that was really annoying uh, then there's the tune which thankfully i didn't have too many problems with but i wasn't playing on the wii u and then the final section, I actually thought was uh, fairly easy, uh, yeah, where you have yeah. to um, where you have to tell 
uh, Zelda to shoot the, the beast in the back while you distract it, and that was that was all right. And then there's a bit where you have to scratch your DS screen by w- wildly rubbing it with the stylus. Oh, yeah. Um, but I bet, yeah, so I bet that bit would look really good in public when you've got your <laughs> your screen by your groin. Yeah, yeah. worse worse than blowing into it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. So uh, I was not impressed when I was playing through this yesterday. Uh, I was, I was, I don't think at any stage on any of the boss fights, maybe the train on train battle, which is I thought was quite easy. I got through that one uh, on my first attempt. I didn't think that was difficult, but maybe I got lucky. That bit I thought was quite fun. All the other sections, other than the bit where I actually activated the tune and all the little train dudes come back and play all their tune together, which was nice. That was a cutscene. Uh, I pretty much hated this whole long, overly long, damn final boss section. Um, yeah. Was was I on my own here now, Josh? I mean, I, mean I, I dislike the bits that you disliked. So the bit with Possessed Zelda was frustrating, and I the meteor breath thing is always like that's kind of that that's a recurring thing with zelda bosses that kind of defend something with somebody firing projectiles at you um so you'd think i'd be used to it but this felt like particularly egregious in that department Mm. like Mm. i i'm not used to like there's a bit where he fires like loads of them and you have to take them all out otherwise zelda you know is distracted and that's that's not fun it's just not fun at all having said that the the train on train battle because you know i love trains um, (laughs) i i love that i i genuinely Mm. thought you know as you said it was really easy but um it, it felt oddly cinematic having these mm. um, this little train kind of take on this this big train that had all these weapons and barrels and lasers and all of that, and you've got mm. your mini little cannon and you know you're tactically you know peeling back its defenses and then getting to you know bomb its face, which was great. Um, I love that bit, and I do actually genuinely like the last bit where you're kind of ordering Zelda to fire an arrow into its back. I honestly thought that was really, you know, a clever yeah, that was idea. okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But generally, I agree with you. I think there are a couple ideas here that they it, they would have benefited from just cutting out entirely. Just have the massive train battle and then the arrow bit. And that would have been fine. That would have been fine. But like that whole other, that middle section between the two is just ugh. Hmm. Leah, how do you feel about all this? Yeah, I, I think, I think Josh is right on there. If, if they had taken out that, that just the really frustrating one for me was def- having to defend Zelda, and one hit on her means that everything just mm. starts right back up again because it's not a short charge. She takes her sweet time. I mean. Yeah. yeah, I th- I don't know why she couldn't have gone and stood behind a pole or something, but uh, apparently that would not work. So, mm. yes, doing the same thing over and over again with imprecise controls. Mm. Uh, Darren, you a fan? <laughs> um, not of that particular scene uh, or the bit where the the ghost rats are, you know, repossess yeah. Zelda over and over and over again. I kind of like the the snapping of the. The puppet strings, the marionette strings, yeah, the boomerang. It was quite satisfying. Satisfying in itself, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but doing it again is boring. Um, the, the 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 fight against the, against the demon train was, as you said, brilliant. I love the demon train's face. Like, it yeah, is, yeah. It is brilliant. It reminds like, me of something out of WarioWare for some reason, but I'm not sure yeah, why. Yeah, it's, it's oddly... 
yeah, charming but aggressive at the same time. Kind of like Wario, you know what I mean? He's, um, it's the red nose, I guess. It, it is the red nose, yeah, and the, and the wicked kind of blue eyes, uh, blue eyebrows, sorry, uh, that are like kind of like fiery eyebrows yeah. of steam. Blue I don't fire know. eyebrows. Mm. Yeah, yeah mm. they're good. Um, the bit before that actually reminded me of Pac-Man a lot, which you know, which yeah. you've already said, and I I didn't find that as chawsome as as you maybe. Okay. It only took me two mm. attempts. One cool. to learn it, and then one, you know, second time to go. And I found that quite satisfying. It, it even goes through, you know, being Pac-Man, such as that you can sort of teleport from one side of the screen to the other, which I found yeah. oddly, oddly funny. But um, the AI of the trains are not Inky, Binky, Pinky, and Clyde. You know, they are just kind of we're just going to fumble around this train track for a bit. But you know, powering up your train to go faster was good but it just reminded me that they could have done this before in the other world you know what i mean like in retrospect it kind of made me dislike the train sections even more i was like well i could have had that at the start you know what i mean or or the opportunity to have the the power pills you know in this game you know Mm. earlier Mm. on It, it was an odd choice to kind of you know this is what you could have won moment at the end of the game it's like well how about give me that later on earlier on sorry um but yeah overall the final boss fight you know, we've all summed it up really already. It's um, it's a it's it's a it's a long process of ups and downs, but ultimately it it paid off. With, you know, with the with the defending, I mean, with the shooting the arrow in, in the back, but the controls were a bit a bit rubbish, really. Um, especially when when Zelda's off screen and you're trying to move her behind the big boss, I found it a bit cumbersome, but not not enough to, in comparison to the pan flute, it was fine. So, as with every The Legend of Zelda game, and most video games, there are other things to do beyond the main story, uh, as is usually the case uh, with this series. I didn't fully engage with all of this stuff. I did a little. This is what I tend to do. I don't uh, get bogged down in it. Um, I didn't enjoy the kind of overworld travel to really want to do many of the side quests. But it sounds like I may have missed out because uh, there are some interesting sounding things to do uh, again craig from the forum uh, says there are two side quests that persist throughout the game the stamp book is great it rewards hunting out nooks and crannies and inventive item use each one you find also gives you a cool stamp and even if you don't claim the reward it's nice just to see what it'll look like the stamp rallies are re- uh, stamp rallies are really common in japan especially around train stations so it's nice to see that in the game the rabbit hunting quest however is just dreadful says Craig. Because of the limited exploration abilities of the train, the rabbits aren't really hidden. Sure, they're behind rocks, but if you pass an area, you'll probably be breaking rocks anyway, so it's just a test of, have you been down this particular section of rail yet? Uh, I, I, I did some of the stamp collecting. There are some, there's some um, fun environmental stuff, because obviously you don't get to do so much of this in spirit tracks generally because you're tr- you know using the train tracks to get around the world and i think one of the things that spirit tracks overall and phantom hourglass actually is lacking for me is that kind of sense of just being in a world that might have a little secret hole to go into anywhere you like you know a bombable wall or a or a floor to go down or or some kind of you know nook and cranny a magical ingle nook or whatever where you can you know find treasure at least or some weird creatures or something like that so um actually having to kind of work out how to get from a to b you might see the uh, the stamp and uh, the stamp stand and then work out you know how to 
how to get to it, whip around and use whatever switches and things to get there. That that did seem quite fun. Um, and that, yeah, the actual stamping of the stamp in the book was enjoyable in itself. And another, I thought, nice use of the stylus. Um, but there's there's other stuff like ferrying passengers around, um, which, uh, you know, it, again, if you're well into the train travel, then maybe you get more out of it. And as I say, if you get in, involved in um, finding dark ore, there's a whole optional extra dungeon. So who did what and how much did you enjoy it? Let's start with Josh. Um, so I collected a few bunnies. I collected a yep. few stamps. Yeah. And I got that first four, four, a force gem that you're just given. That was about it, oh, yeah. to be honest with you. Um, okay. Yeah, I, 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 and it's mainly my fault because um, I kind of um, I left it a little bit late to play this game, Same so here. I was, uh, you know, right against the deadline. So I kind of mainlined it, but um, yeah. yeah I, Same here. Yeah. This, this, this should we should always say, you know, for 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 reasons of context like this isn't the natural way necessarily to play these games uh, up against the time limit and actually because we've been playing zelda non-stop for a year um i didn't just dive straight into this as soon as i finished the last one when we had our uh, between volume break over christmas i was actually playing some other things <laughs> uh, so yes i could have played this earlier and done more of the side quest stuff but sorry sorry guys uh, I have to play some other games sometimes too. So, uh, uh, Leah, how about you? You said you did a bit more of this. Stuff. Yeah, um, and ag- again, uh, kind of like you guys, I did leave this pretty late this time around. Uh, but I want to say that I did pretty much all of it the first time. Uh, wow, this time, cool. I, um, I I've done a, a pretty a pretty good amount, but not everything. Um, man, those rabbits are frustrating sometimes um right. because if you miss them the first time then in order to reset them and get another shot at it you have to go- either get off the train at a station or go into a shop or somehow leave the area and come back um otherwise you you just don't get another shot at it so uh that that was kind of frustrating to me but um yeah i i i liked and i i think this is probably a uh a function of liking the the train travel, but I liked going around and doing the side quests, and uh, mm. I, I thought that they were uh, they were pretty good. Maybe not the best set of side quests in Zelda history, but uh, but fun enough, I thought. Mm. So as with um, as with Phantom Hourglass, uh, this game doesn't have heart pieces. You've essentially only got I think there's like eight optional heart containers, um, which you don't you definitely don't need to finish the game, as as we heard earlier. Uh, you can do it with just the ones that you pick up kind of organically throughout the game if you open the chest after beating a boss. Again, optional. Um, And I actually thought one of the things that did wed me to the world of Spirit Tracks a little more, and perhaps if I'd had more time, I would have felt more engaged with its world, is the... I guess it's this sort of... This game's equivalent of the traditional... um, kind of you know trading sequence but in this game it's more about you speak to somebody and they say they need to go to the next place and then you take them on the train and you'll get attacked and it's there's a kind of crazy taxi thing going on where you're trying or or the the mini game in outrun 2 where you're trying to keep the passenger happy as you go along and they they get more and more unhappy i I didn't see it when you fail out i don't don't know what happens if they just get out and run away like in crazy taxi or Mm. or what but um i I failed one of the the passenger moments um, I think it's the first time you do it actually, because as I mentioned yeah. earlier, I got a bit uh, disengaged with the the train travel, and um, I looked away momentarily, 
and Ooh. I lost, um, you know, a bit of morale from the passenger, and you know, it goes into like kind of like the Sims. You see like a face kind of well, like theme park. You know, you see the face like go from green to yellow to red in terms of you know various emotions, and I just got to where he wanted to be, and. I think I broke too hard. I, I went, I went straight into reverse, and he doesn't like that. And he's like, no. "Oh, you know, well, you know." And if you don't do the whistle at the right sign, or if you don't do the yeah. right action at the right sign, they, you mm. know, they, they lose or they gain morale. And I did lose my passenger, and you have to go back to where the character mm. originally is and start <laughs> again. And I found that right. to be a chore. Yeah, it is worth saying again that we understand that actually engaging with the side quests can make your your progress through the rest of the game easier so for instance you can by by going a long way with the stamp collector uh quest you can get an augmented spin attack which i assume is going to make your sort of hits less precise basically so and, and a wider range so that probably make the final boss easier um there's also a sword beam uh if you cut if you if you catch 50 rabbits uh so you know you gotta you gotta put the work in and obviously there's usual things like um a bigger bomb bag and and whatever else so uh the rewards are there but uh, whether they're worth it is a matter for you and you alone jobo bonobo our last correspondent uh, other than our three word reviews from the forum i was very happy we got this one in uh yesterday or earlier um because it is much more positive I have a great fondness for spirit tracks. I thought it was a more than worthy successor to Phantom Hourglass and fixed the two issues I had with the game. The tedious central dungeon that you had to return to throughout uh, on a time limit and the forgettable soundtrack. On both counts, spirit tracks improves things greatly. The dungeons are some of the most fun I have played in any Zelda title and the items all get regular use and were used to solve some ingenious puzzles. Zelda being your companion throughout the whole game really made her much more than a damsel in distress in this story, and she was used to solve some of my favourite puzzles in the series. As alluded to, the Spirit Tower is always fun to traverse every time you go up a higher floor and without any time limit. Bosses were also an absolute joy to battle, with Maladus probably being one of my favourite final bosses in the series. The stylus controls were easy and fun to use as well. Swordplay was more enjoyable here than Skyward Sword. The controversial train travel was not an issue for me for the most part. Sure, it did reduce the amount of secrets the developers could hide away in the overworld, but I felt that this was a Zelda primarily about the dungeons, and that can be a fine thing to focus on, especially as the dungeons were so good. Riding the train was a nice relaxing activity that offered a nice change of pace from the adventuring, but if exploration and side quests are your thing, I can see why spirit tracks may not be for you. The only thing I did not enjoy was having to play the flute, as the combination of microphone and stylus made it a nightmare to play properly. Overall, Spirit Tracks is a fine addition to the Zelda series, and would probably be in my top five if I had to make such a list. Those who are fans of Zelda or adventure games in general, and have a DS, should at very least try it out. To me, it's a true classic among many for the system. Thank you, Jobo Bonobo. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, we've had a widespread of responses to Spirit Tracks. Uh, yes, yeah, so three word reviews. Follow us on uh, on Twitter at Kane and Rinse. And let's start with Darren. Play Critically says, This game blows. Regan Burns says, Never ending tutorial. Gaio Pinto says, Breezy, benign, boring. The Sonic Mole says, Zelda, Southern Rail. Mr. Turch. No hype train. Stanchel says, fatal flautist floor. Beautiful. 
so to summarize uh, i've put myself first uh, regular listeners will know that i tend to try to work up uh, from the most negative person to the most positive it doesn't always work out but uh, that's the intention i have because i prefer people to go away feeling positively about a game so i've put myself first on this one because i suspect that i may be the most negative about the legend of zelda spirit tracks again i want to mention context um and the situation in which i played it so it's completely unnatural to have played 12 zelda games in 12 months because they release them uh once every on average like two three years maybe including um maybe every two years on average including all the handheld and ones you could you can do the maths um but the series has been going 30 years and we've had like 17 or 18 games so yeah uh so playing them one month after another is not necessarily uh, going to lead to that same level of excitement or freshness. Uh, it was something I wanted to do, and I'm still really glad that I'm doing it. But I think that particularly in the case of Phantom Hourglass to Spirit Tracks, as much as I you know, I appreciate and, and think Phantom Hourglass is in some ways an excellent handheld video game and a decent Zelda game, going straight from one to another that's so similar in so many ways was perhaps not what I wanted. And the more restrictive uh, overworld travel of Spirit Tracks is not something I don't... Uh, it's, it's not something I ever wanted, I don't think. Um, and I remember when I briefly played Spirit Tracks when it first came out that it, it was not clicking with me straight away, which I think why I put it to one side. Um, so... That is a fairly major deal. We sp- we spent a lot of time on on the train travel, and and I think if like I like the sound of the putting on the brakes on the train, and I like the chuffy noise of the train, and I like the toot toot, and I like the um, the music that plays while you're in the train. But I don't actually want to traverse my Zelda game that way. Um, as we said, I think the the generally the the standard of puzzle design and dungeon design is up there with with the usuals. Um, but really, I could have done without a lot of the surrounding stuff in this game. I would have been happy just to play, you know, eight dungeons in a row or whatever, and um, and not do including the bosses for the, the you know the sub bosses and the and the bosses for the dungeons, but not the final boss or any of the surrounding. So, I think I've found possibly my least favourite Zelda up to this point, other than probably Zelda Two. Um, certainly don't hate it, um, but it's probably the one that I've come away feeling the least enthused about. Thankfully, not to the point that I'm not still excited about finally playing Skyward Sword properly for the first time. But yeah, um, I, I think I feel like this is a Zelda that you can probably give a miss if you're not that fussed about the series, certainly. Um, but yeah, it has it has its moments, um, chiefly puzzle design dungeons. Uh, the series core strengths I guess Darren Gargett yeah coming uh, playing this for the first time all the way through after my initial memory of I don't want to be in a train and turning it off after you know an hour or so back when it was first released um, I was overall quite in I was pleasantly surprised by how not rubbish it was (laughs) like the game's not terrible compared to other other adventure games on on the DS. It's quite an achievement. Um, even though there's a lot about it that I don't like. You know, I don't like the overworld as such. I don't really like, you know, the the, the side quests. I, I find it a, a lot of the game for me actively, you know, discouraged me from exploration and all this, which is a shame to say about a Zelda game. Um, but the dungeons. It, I don't think if the dungeons 
were as good as that, I don't think I would be so excited to crack on and playing it, especially after all the frustrations that I had with it. You know, to to persist, you know, mainly for this podcast, but I persisted to see the next dungeon and go, right, you know, let's see what happens next. And the Sand Temple is just, it made it all worthwhile, you know, it was great. Um, but... You know, the Zelda games are weird because generally the the opinion is, you know, there's there's a high bar, and so if if a Zelda game doesn't meet the Zelda high bar, then it's it's regarded as a bad game. And I don't think mm. Spirit Tracks is a bad game as such. You know, the the reviews were, you know, positive overall, but I don't really like it, and it's it's a weird conflict. Like, <laughs> like I think Akami Den is better than spirit tracks but that's because akami for me hasn't got the the legacy and history that the franchise has so compared to other zelda games it's down there with the you know my least favorite you know zelda 2 and and now spirit tracks and and phantom hourglass but compared to other games on the on the console it's pretty good and so it's a really weird one like it's it's, it's my personal taste versus the game is actually pretty good, but it's just not for me. And I would never play it again on the Wii U, ever. So, you know, it's also got that going against it. It's a really conflicting game for me because I don't like it when Nintendo force you to have a one control style, uh, you know, and that's it. One control method and that's it. Go away if you don't like it. Um, so, yeah, massively conflicted on this game. Like, it has high points and it has a lot of annoying low points. Um, and... No, I can't recommend it. I can't recommend it in the series because there are better games with Zelda name on it. And no, I, I, I don't think you should play Spirit Tracks. Mm. Leah, mm. do you feel differently? I, I do. Uh, so I, I like Spirit Tracks more than I like Phantom Hourglass, and that has kind of been how I've remembered it. So coming back to it, I I was wondering if that would still be the case and it is. I um I acknowledge that it, there are some things about it that are flawed and there are some things that it it definitely is not a game that everybody likes and it doesn't have to be a game that everybody likes and I I don't know that I would recommend it for everyone, but if you are a fan of the series, if you um enjoyed the basic conceits of Phantom Hourglass, but maybe wanted to see some of them refined a little bit, um I think that Spirit Tracks does that pretty well. And it could be that uh that you you know people who enjoy Phantom Hourglass won't enjoy this either but uh I I I really enjoyed it I I think that it made some improvements it's not necessarily one of my favorite Zeldas but it's not one of my least favorite either it's it's kind of somewhere around in the middle and I I've enjoyed playing it uh and I uh I I cautiously recommend it how's that fair enough right train driver hat on Josh yes um my my views are uh, are largely the same uh, as Leah's. Um, I I did end up having a really good time with this game, and and I do like it considerably more than um, Phantom Hourglass, which for me would have been you know one of the weaker entries in the series, kind of down there with not quite nowhere near as bad as um, Zelda Two, but kind of down in that area. Whereas this there's just a lot more color and personality to the art direction um the music while not 
amazing from start to finish. That overworld theme, they've really nailed it. And I think if if you've nailed the theme, you're going to hear most. You know, you've you've done your job. And a lot of the temples, especially the last three, were really great. Um, not you know the strongest the series has uh, has ever seen, but you know compared to the last game, they stood out a lot more. And um, I really like the train, you guys. Like the train is really good, <laughs> and um, I, I it, honestly, it made it made me wonder whether I'd really like um, Nintendo to make. Uh, a light train simulation game in this mm. kind of art style mm. uh, and in this kind of world because the the unique pleasure I got from timing the the train um, so that it kind of arrived at the platform perfectly in line without any kind of um, stutter or having to reverse or anything like that. It, hmm. it, I can't explain it, but I just I loved it so much, and and just the personality of the train and and the choo choo noise and how perfectly it was in sync with the music. I just um, there's a lot to love here. Overall, I think, like Leah said, I think it's kind of in the mid tier for me. It's not in my absolute favourites of the series, but I I enjoyed it enough to recommend it. Well, Josh, uh, you, you're London-based. A career as a tube driver yeah. is beckoning. Why Indeed. not? Okay, so Spirit Tracks tick, and we have but two Zeldas to do. Uh, obviously, we're leaving Breath of the Wild sometime. Uh, but yes, Skyward Sword and A Link Between Worlds, and wow, then we've done it for now. Uh so until the next issue, it remains for me, Leon, to thank Darren, Josh, Leah, our correspondents, and you for listening. And to tell you that next time, in issue 253, Run and Gun, along with us and Konami in its early heyday, Contra and Super Contra, 